Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Into the Wild, diving deep into part two, where we are looking more closely at scripture and divine violence. It's wild stuff, so buckle up, because our passage today that we're reading from the Old Testament, from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, is one that's quite heavy and hard to get our minds around. So let's dive deeper into it together, beginning with verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did in opposing the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them and tell him 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 soldiers of Judah. Saul came to the city of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul said to the Canaanites, go, leave, withdraw from among the Amalekites or I will destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites withdrew from the Amalekites and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. He took King Agog of the Amalekites alive, but utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Saul and the people spared Agog and the best of the sheep and the cattle and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was valuable and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. All right, when I've had this, I, I, it's been very rare that I've ever heard anyone preach on this scripture, for one thing, because, <laughs> I mean, it God doesn't come out looking that great uh, in, from a modern person's point of view. But every time I've ever heard of it, it's always been that, Saul sinned because he didn't follow instructions. So what can we say about God, Samuel, Saul in this scripture? Well, and that's a good question. And yeah, back to your point, I have a Bible where I have, I write down the dates beside all the different texts that I preach from. I've never had a date beside this one, so I, <laughs> which means I probably never preached on mm-hmm. it. But I want to go back. So the first Samuel 15 passage that Jenny read for us, um, you know, it, it, it's a command that God gives Saul to wipe out the Amicalites, men, women, children, right? So, but but I want you to go back to Exodus. In Exodus, as the as the Israelites cross over the Jordan River, I mean, I'm sorry, cross over the Red Sea, there's there's a surprise attack by who? The Amicalites. All right. So so they're like surprised by this attack mm-hmm. and and so they're living Needless aggression. Yes. And they're yeah. living in this consciousness. They're mm-hmm. living this is in their their conscious. Um, reality, and so then you get you fast forward. You're getting to Deuteronomy. Paul or Moses is giving out all the laws and instructions, and in Deuteronomy, he's telling the folks, "Don't forget about the Amicalites when you get to the land." So he's bringing them up to memory, mm-hmm. and then we get to this passage in First Samuel 15, mm-hmm. where now that um, they're they've got a king and they've got some leadership, and he's saying, "What I need you to do is I need to go. I need you to go take care of the Amicalites." Okay. So that's where we get, right? Yeah. So just a big picture, First First Samuel 15, God commands that he wipes out all the Amicalites. However, just to put a 
a, a print on this or a thought on this. You get you fast forward to First Samuel thirty. David is now king, and one of the things David runs into is that that there was enough Amalekites left over. He didn't kill them all. There's mm-hmm. enough left over in First Samuel thirty that actually they take some of the families of David's military men and hold them captive. Okay. So it's possible that even though the scripture says that all were killed, that maybe all weren't killed. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you, you're, you know there is this word, I don't want to say exaggeration, but it's this idea that, that there's, you know, you're... Um, it, was a, it was a big win. It's a big win. It was a yeah. big win. Gotcha. Yeah. And so and we had this big win, and we did everything, but Saul misbehaves because he keeps what? Livestock? Yes. Grade A livestock. <laughs> so livestock were more important than women and children, the non-combatants. You, you can see how that could be problematic for someone who, who's thinking about becoming a Christ follower or even a believer in this God. So what do you say to someone like that? Where do you start? You know, I mean, I think that we, we start with the Bible is capturing um, the lived experience of a nation. Um, we know that this took place in the ancient Near East. We know this type of war language was not unique to Israel in the Scripture. It's all throughout the ancient Near East. God's uh, telling nations to annihilate other people is commonplace. And so uh, I think it would be unrealistic to think that the Israelites would not reflect the culture that they came out of. And so I think we have to hold that intention when we begin to think about God. Um, In the ancient Near East, almost every nation, uh, being very tribal, had a tribal god. And so victories were attributed to their god, as well as losses were uh, eventually reflected as a loss to their god. Uh, We Mm -hmm. have historical records of gods submitting to other gods uh, in Ah. the ancient Near East. And so you want your god to win, and you want your god to be the reason that you win, I think, is what we see reflected here. I see. And so, I mean, think about it, you know, the way my brain works, but just think about it in a very simple way. You're, you know, you're on a playground with a bunch of kids and, and, um, and, and, you know, ultimately it becomes a competition. My daddy's better than your daddy, right? Well, yeah, I remember when Elijah or Elisha, one of those, he, he, he's like, oh, Baal, pour water on the altar. And then he's like, the God goes, boom, and the altar blows up. Yeah, I got it. And mm-hmm. they all die. Yeah. 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 But then he has to run away and eat a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Jezebel threatens his exactly. life. Because Jezebel yeah. threatens his life. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so violence is in the Bible. Yeah, you know, and, and and also, you know, what how Jamie laid out that timeline, it reminded me, you know, in the book of Joshua, you know, the the book ends with like Joshua totally clearing the land of all of the Canaanite people. Yeah. But then one book later, the beginning of Judges, we read that that wasn't the case necessarily. That yeah, there are a lot where they of people from, yeah. still in the land. And the author of Judges even has a, a few lines in there about why God allowed that. And so I think we just have to hold that intention. Like we have yeah. that in Scripture where yeah. perhaps the full annihilation is called for and recorded, but yet maybe that's not exactly, you know, how it happened. Yeah. But it's attributed to God. It is attributed to God. Mm-hmm. Because the worldview of, of these folks, nothing happened without God. Yeah. I mean, it good, bad. I mean, the, the, everything was controlled by their God. 
Okay. And so, of course, it's going to be attributed to God, right? I mean, if that's mm-hmm. the way your worldview allows you to see the world, then then of course you're going to attribute this win, or you're going to, or this loss. It, you you lost this war because um, because maybe your God is upset with you, or yeah. you're, you know, or you know, you didn't offer enough sacrifices to that. Well, God. Yeah, in their story where Joshua was like praying and praying and praying, and they go to AI, whatever I, and then they they think they're going to win easily, and they wind up getting annihilated yeah. kind of and he comes back and he says you got sin in your camp mm-hmm. and that would that would explain yeah. it, right why and, you why you lost yeah and, and sometimes even nations when they would lose uh would go and worship another god oh you know they would their god would have been defeated and so and and i think that uh in the multiple instances that israel is in exile i think that's why uh there's so much uh, doubling down with ethnic markers and uh, focusing on Yahweh is to prevent them from worshiping the foreign gods in the foreign lands for which they're living. Because I think that was a real reality. Whenever a foreign nation came in and took over, the people of the land that were taken over would abandon their gods and, and worship the new gods wow. because they were more powerful. That's a great point. And, and I, I think the Old Testament is violent because the world was violent. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it, and, and, and you had to they're, protect. They're writing their lived experience. That's like right. You said. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so that's one of the beauties I find in Scripture is that is that there is the messiness of Scripture because these are messy people, just like we are. You know, yeah. we don't have it all together. And so that's one of the values. That's, to me, is really what speaks into the inspiration of Scripture is that okay. that God allows the messiness to be a part of of the divine word, if you will, mm-hmm. and um and and it and it reminds us that um that life is not perfect, and so part of what God does is He works through our lived experience, right? Yeah. yeah. So it is a violent world, but yet there's also glimpses of people coming to understand yeah. their God in a different way. You have. For example, um, was it Leviticus? And it says in Leviticus, when you're when you're when you're taking up your crops, leave a portion exactly. for the poor yes. Yes. and the refugee. Yeah. I mean, who takes care of refugees when when everybody's tribal, right? Yeah. And, but yet, um, we these start- glimpses of like we're moving somewhere as a people to more compassion, more inclusion, more um, value and worth for each individual, uh, as opposed to just our tribe. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of. Uh, you know, Exodus and then Deuteronomy. They kind of tell the same story, but historically, uh, folks have attributed Deuteronomy to around the time of the boy king Josiah. So they know it came much later than Exodus. And so when they're talking about the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. uh, and they get to that commandment about the Sabbath, in Exodus, they talk about uh, re- releasing slaves. There's a seventh year and you release slaves. Oh, yeah. And... Um, I think they call it the year of Jubilee. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're liking it. They're likening the Sabbath to the Genesis creation story when God rested. And so this is some early, early uh, Israelite literature. And so they're saying you release your slaves and you send them with what they have. Mm-hmm. But then as we look later and we look in uh, Deuteronomy, 
when they're looking at the Ten Commandments and they're looking at the Sabbath, they no longer look back to the Genesis creation story. They look back to Egypt. Yeah. And they say, remember when you were slaves yeah. and you were brought out by the hand of the Almighty. Uh-huh. And when they speak about the slaves being released, no longer is it do you send them out with what they came with. It says you send them out with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like pretty much set them up to never be broke again and never have to sell themselves into slavery. And then even in Deuteronomy... So the empathy level is completely different. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's changed. It's telling the same story. God is still the one giving these, these laws, but yet you can see the people have a new concept of God's care for humanity, almost humanitarian concerns. In fact, later in Deuteronomy, uh, there's a passage about where if a slave escapes and comes to Israel, they are not to return it to the slave owner. They They are to allow that slave to live anywhere in the land and not oppress them. So you do see how the people are perceiving God as changing, which I think is important for when sometimes we feel tempted to take a passage like what we looked at today and say, man, look at how God was acting right there. Perhaps that's how the people were perceiving God, and perhaps there's more that we can learn about God Mm -hmm. as we continue to follow the life of the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love that. And that's good because if we're not careful, we're going to be tempted. You know, there was in second century was this fellow by the name of Marcion who existed, and Marcion came down to the conclusion, well, the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are just two oh, different yeah. gods. Yeah. And, um, and but, I've heard people say that. But, the you know, Orthodox Christianity, we don't say that. Mm-hmm. It's the same God. But I, but I do find it fascinating in the Gospel of John, and I kind of want to shift this conversation to talk about the value of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And in, in the Gospel of John, you, you remember the story where um, the, I love the, the prologue of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Mm-hmm. And so John goes through this, and we discover that the Word is Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, and he says, in, um, in, as a part of that prologue, he says um, that, um, that no one has ever seen God. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Gospel writer John, I want to say, hold up, John. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, let's go back. Abraham, yeah, Moses, yeah, the elders well, who yeah. went up on the mountain with yeah. Moses. All those guys. see God, right? Yeah. I mean, God had dinner with Abraham when he talks. You know, you're going to yeah. have a son, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And so, so what's John thinking about here? And so, I, I think in the context of what he's doing here, saying. You've not really seen God until you've seen Jesus. Oh. And so to me, that's that's the power of Scripture in that it, you can see that. And, and so even John is acknowledging we don't see the fullness of God until we see it in Jesus. That's beautiful. And that's where we're getting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's real. And I think that's what Paul had to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. Paul, a good Jew under the law, had to wrestle with now I've got the full expression of God in Jesus, so I've got to go back and not reinterpret, but reevaluate the way I read my scripture is what mm. I think Paul's doing. I love that. Well, um, I'm glad we had this discussion. So uh, I was wondering if maybe you close us in prayer today with just this idea of that we've seen, we've seen the Christ. We've seen what is what does Jesus say when you've seen the Father, you've seen you've seen mm-hmm. me, you've seen mm-hmm. the Father. Yeah, Isn't that right. beautiful. Yeah, let's pray. Gracious God, we are grateful. We're grateful for your word. And um, and as um, Hebrew says, it is living and true and active even among us today and how uh, a passage in, that we can, we can always turn to for find hope and love. But Lord, we pray that it's a, as it's a, it is truly a living book. And so in that sense, Lord, 
we know that it is a, it is a book that we allow to, to shape us, but to shape us more like Christ. And that's the goal. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Once 
Once and for all Once and for all Once and for all When we lay down our will and stand on the firm foundation of God's goodness, we find that God can be trusted to bring peace and rest to our souls. Without the peace and presence of God, our minds default to violence against one another and even against ourselves. May we lay down our adversarial striving once and for all and allow God to resurrect us in grace and love. I am so glad you gave this time to watch today, and I thank you for giving to this online ministry. If you would like to support Together What If or the ministries of Gainesville First United Methodist Church, you can go to gfumc.com give. And as always, you can help us build online bridges to Christ by liking and sharing this content. This second week of Lent, may we call upon the name of Jesus to bring the peace of God's presence to us that we in turn share with others. And God bless you and keep you until I see you next week.